For SEN America, this is the SEN NBA podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the SEN NBA podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke Sakari, and joining me down the line from New York City, our good friend here at SEN America, Chris Tyler. Chris, how are you? Oh, I'm so pumped up, Luke. One week until the draft. This is my favorite day of the entire year. Forget about Christmas. Forget about my birthday. Forget about the <laughs> AFL Grand Final, as much as I love it. Forget about even the opening weekend of March Madness. This, the NBA draft, is my favorite day of the entire year, Luke. One more week. I cannot wait. Which is why we've decided to dedicate an entire podcast to it. It's funny, it was literally two nights ago, I was sitting in here with Chris De Silva, the other member of our SEN NBA podcast team, and we were discussing the um, the finals, the end of the finals, and we are talking about the off-season and what teams can do. Two days later, we're talking about the draft, I'm like, there is no off-season. <laughs> it's literally... I, know, I love it. Condolences <laughs> to you, by the way, and Chris, for uh, the way that uh, Cavs got bombed out in five games, but look, it was a... It was a better series than it was looking like after the first two games, but uh, unfortunately, your Cavs couldn't get it done. But like I said, it means that the attention is now fixed uh, over to the draft, which is good, because obviously we want to see more basketball. But now that that's over, everyone else has to focus their attention on the draft now. It's not just me. It's not just the diehards. It's everyone. So one more week, it gives everyone to kind of uh, do their research and, and, and really dig into uh, to all the information about all the prospects. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And which is why I've got you on today, Chris. Of course, you're pretty much an expert in the field. You're our draft expert. You've watched heaps of college basketball spent um, this year in the States. So you've got a great knowledge of all these kids. So we'll get stuck into maybe the top 10 in detail a bit later on. You've done your mock draft. We'll get into that a bit later on, but we'll start off with just maybe a couple of of overview general questions in relation to this year's draft. And I think the first question on a lot of people's minds is, what are the Boston Celtics going to do with this number one draft? Pick, of course, number one pick from the Brooklyn Nets from way back with the Garnett-Pierce trade, which looks worse and worse than Brooklyn as the days go by. Of course, Boston this year, they finished top of the East, 53 wins. You know, We all know they've got assets there to make deals. We know they're probably a star or two away from really contending for the championship. Uh, you've probably got Mark Alfalt's top of the draft board. is the consensus, so he will be the number one draft pick. So if you're the Celtics, I mean, you're a Celtics man, Chris. What do you want to see them to do, and what should they do with this draft pick? I'd like to see them take Mark Alfalt's. I think there's been a lot of discussion about whether they would trade it away or trade down or something like that in order to get a big-time player into the team. But for me, with the way that our salary cap is looking for the next couple of years when we're going to have to eventually pay Bradley and Isaiah Thomas and all these guys, there's not going to be enough room in the salary cap. And if you have a look at draft picks, they are incredibly cheap for four or five years. You own them. And it doesn't cost a lot to your, to your salary cap. They're incredibly valuable. They're a lot more valuable than if you trade them for a superstar, especially if you're going to try to bring in a free agent like Gordon Haywood or there's been a bit of discussions over the past week about the Celtics looking um, for Blake Griffin. Yeah. So the way that the Celtics are structured, Danny Ainge loves cap flexibility. Pretty much in all of his trades or any of his dealings throughout the past few years, they've all been structured around making sure that you have flexibility in the cap and being able to take that number one pick that gives you the most cap flexibility and still being able to get 
a potential superstar down the track. Now, I don't even know if there's been a couple of discussions. There's been a few discussions over the past um, few weeks about whether they would even keep Isaiah Thomas or not. He's got one more year. He's on a $6 million contract next year, and then he'll be commending a lot of money, and he deserves that money. But I wouldn't put it past someone like Danny Ainge to say, look, you know what? We don't think that this is going to continue for another couple of years. We think you're past your peak. He's going to be, what, 31? Yeah. I think by the time his yep. contract's finished, around about that, he's not going to be worth the amount of money that he's going to be commanding. So I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of cuts ties with Isaiah Thomas in the end. Now, I don't know if he'll trade him now in order to maximise the return on him. I'm fine for him to stick it out and then see how Isaiah Thomas goes next year. But at least with Markel Fultz, you're kind of covering for the fact that Isaiah Thomas may not be playing with the team in two years' time because, as we know, for someone that short, if you're a guard that is six feet tall, generally speaking, you kind of have a quick decline. And if you're over 30, it's kind of it's a, you, you just don't have a productive post 30 year career. You know what I mean in the NBA if, yeah. you, if you're a little guy. So I don't expect Isaiah to kind of change that trend particularly. Although I wouldn't put past any, put anything past him at the moment. But the way that Danny Ainge does these deals, I just can't see him wanting to stick with Isaiah Thomas for a long period of time. So you kind of, it's, it's a win-win situation for the Celtics. You know, there has been some conversation last couple of hours, actually, about whether the Celtics are interested in Josh Jackson. There have been some reports about whether Josh Jackson out of Kansas will be going number one. For me, I like the fit of Michael Fultz, but I think he's a better player overall. And I also think he fits the Celtics a little bit better because Josh Jackson plays a small forward position. And we've got someone like Jake Crowder and Jalen Brown coming through. And obviously, if you talk on Gordon Haywood, Haywood can play the uh, the wing position as well. If he comes into the side, obviously, if Haywood comes in, then you'd probably take out Jay Crowder. But in my opinion, I think we would be looking more towards a point guard or a guard at all rather than uh, a wing position because that seems to be the spot for Jalen Brown in the future. So I'm, I'm happy for the Celtics to look at Markel Fultz. And I think ultimately that's what's going to happen. Yeah, and I was going to mention that about Isaiah Thomas, obviously, as you said. His $6 million contract this year is probably the bargain of the entire NBA. You're going to have an all-star and $6 million. Oh, yeah. In the current uh, climate of the salary cap, is unbelievable. But like you said, he's getting up there in age. He's coming out of contract. And you've, the Celtics have got this guard squeeze. So you've got Thomas. Let's assume they'll take faults number one. You've got Avery Bradley, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Terry Rosier. So there's, there's a lot of guys there that there's going to be an odd man out. Now, I was talking to, to, to a Boston friend the other day, and he kind of he thinks Fultz and Thomas can play together. He would actually like to see Thomas get re-signed as well. And he maybe pointed out, he nominated maybe Avery Bradley as the odd man out. So there's plenty of options there that the Celtics can go to. I think it, it a lot of it does depend on not only this year's draft, but this year's free agency and trade markets, what they do there, how they construct this roster. It's it's at the end of the day, it's a they've got so many options. It's a good place to be because they've got so many ways to to get this team where it has to be, where it can contend for a championship. So they're in a terrific position. Now we'll move on. Now before we get stuck into the the actual prospects, we, we kind of have to talk about this name, Lavar Bohr. Now whether you want to talk about him or not, it's another question. But the fact of the matter is, we have to. Because he has made a massive, massive impact on this draft. Of course, his son, Lonzo, most likely going to go pick two to the Lakers. I guess what I wanted to ask you really quickly, Chris, was what kind of impact has this guy made on the draft and on his son? Has he impacted his draft stock? Has he improved it? Because he's definitely made him money. What's your overall take on this guy? 
I don't think it'll have much of it'll make much of a difference at all. I think Lonzo's still going to go number two. There's been a bit of conjecture about whether Lonzo will fall from two and perhaps the Lakers take Josh Jackson instead if the Celtics don't choose Josh Jackson. But in the end, I think that's all a smokescreen. I think Lonzo will remain number two. He could be the go-to point guard for the next 15 years. He's one of the smartest players in this draft and probably for the past few years as well. He can shoot. He's got a developing shot. So you probably you don't know whether his shot will translate because he's kind of got a crooked motion and he shoots from down low. So you'd hope that he can still translate that game to the NBA. But if he does, he can be a fantastic player and he's your floor general for the next 10, 15 years. If they don't get rid of D'Angelo Russell and they can move him to that two spot, I don't think it's it's necessary for him to play at point uh, if, if they want to keep him at all. But in the end, as, as much damage as LeVar has seemed to have done, I think in the end, talent was out. And Lonzo Ball, to me, is the second best player in the draft easily. So in the end, you just want him to do it. And obviously, he came out with that um, that footlocker. I don't know if you saw it. <laughs> that was in, absolutely uh, terrific. The day before, last couple of days. And he kind of, it was the first time that you saw him kind of take the piss a little bit out yeah. of his dad because... The past couple of months, he hasn't really addressed the issue. He's been very quiet on it. All you've really heard from is LeVar himself. So it was kind of nice to get his perspective on things and, and actually hear from him and him saying, you know, I understand that my dad's crazy, but, you know, he's not gonna, this isn't going to be a thing for much longer. You know, once I make the NBA, he's not going to be able to control me once more. That's what, it, that's, that's what it, the message seemed to be from, from Lonzo in that ad. So fingers crossed it all works out. But for me, I, I can't see the Lakers taking in a lot of, about what's going to happen one and two, but for me, I'm pretty confident if I had to put my money on it, it'll still be Fulton and Ball at one and two. Yeah, I think that makes sense, and that's a nice segue into your your lottery, your top 14. You've broken it up into three different tiers, so tier one, tier two, tier three. We'll start at the top. We'll start at tier one, and let's get really stuck into an in-depth analysis of the two guys I've already mentioned, Markow, Fultz, and Lonzo Ball. So you've got Markow, pick one, as everyone does. Now, this is a guy that... I absolutely love him because this. I look at this guy and he's all of his strengths just fit the modern NBA. It's almost like he can make an immediate impact. He's really versatile on both ends. He's athletic. Um, he's playmaking. He can score in transition. He's really, really nice in the pick and roll. And he controls his speed. So everyone talks about, um, about pace and tempo. And the immediate thinking is about run, 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 run. I, I, the way I look at it is if you want to really control the tempo, it's about stopping and starting and understanding when to pick your moments. And that's what he does really well. He's got a nice understanding and control of the game. His only weakness for mine would be defensively his his mindset. Sometimes he does settle a bit or he just relaxes. But 90% of kids are going to have that attitude problem um, defensively straight out of college. The fact with Markel, I think he's got the athletic ability. So he's got those those traits you can't teach. You can breed into him a defensive mindset and attitude. And we see it a lot with his chase down blocks. He's smart because he actually understands the timing of a lot of defensive actions. So his weaknesses can really, really be worked on. I, I love the kid. He's going to be an absolute star. And like we talked off the top, I think Boston, unless there's a monumental offer, that'd be crazy to draft to, to trade this pick. Yeah, exactly. And he has the tools to be a good defensive player. He might not have showed it uh, when he was at Washington, which was quite hard as well. We saw the same thing happen with Ben Simmons. If you're playing on a side that is struggling the entire year, as Washington did, then it's kind of hard to keep your head in the game for the entire uh, entire season. Obviously, you can make an impact uh, on the offensive end, but it is hard to kind of get him engaged on the defensive end. Hopefully, if he finds his way to the Celtics, then because he is on 
a team that will compete for the Eastern Conference, then he will put in that effort. And you can see he's got he's six four, he's got a good size for a point guard, but he's got a six ten wingspan, so he's got the he's got the reach, he's got the athleticism. I think he's got the the, the raw tools to be a good defensive player. So I wouldn't uh, be surprised if he ends up honing those skills over the next couple of years and become a capable defender. But in the end, you're drafting him for for his scoring twenty three point two points per game. Uh, as a freshman, shooting 41% from three and 53% overall, he's a, he can shoot on all three levels. So he can, he's got a terrific uh, long-range game. He can pull up, uh, you know, uh, on the elbow and, and, and have a have a nice mid-range game, and he can finish in the paint as well. So he kind of can shoot, can score on all three levels. So that's what you want from Fultz, and that's what you're going to get. Exactly right. So we'll move on to, to Lonzo Ball as well. Now this is a guy that. He's um his playmaking skills. This you look at this guy. Say what's his number one skill? He's an he could be a transcendent playmaker. The way he sees the court and his vision is absolutely unbelievable. Some of the passes he made in college this year were just awesome. He almost a lot of people saying he's got that Penny Hardaway, Jason Jason Kidd type um, intelligence on the basketball course. Um, of course, you, a lot of people will look at his jump shot and say, what is that? Because it's a shocking technique. But it's effective, though. It's yeah, effective. Well, That's the thing. yeah, I was about to add that. It works for him. So how much can you really criticize it if it goes in? Um, so with Lonzo, I feel like the way he... It's very rare for a player that young to see the game like he does, to see the way the game unfolds. Um, he's got to be a number two pick as well. Yeah, I'd say so. And look, he was just, it, for me, he was uh, the most fun player to watch last season. You say I were, were terrible two years ago, and he comes in, obviously, TJ Leaf comes in as well, and a couple of those other guys developed. But UCLA, UCLA were the best team to watch last year. They were fantastic. They were one of the favourites to win uh, the NCAA tournament. And a lot of that came down to Wonzo Ball and what he's able to do for that team. They can make teammates better, which is what you want from an NBA point guard. All of these modern point guards a score first. That's definitely not the case for, for Lonzo Ball. He can facilitate first, but he can still score. He still averaged almost 15 points a game, but his assist, 7.6 assists per game. That's fantastic for, for someone like him. And he's a great rebounder as well, six rebounds a game. So he can kind of do it all, but like you said, it's his intelligence and, and his passing ability that are going to make him stand out and be a point guard for you know, 15 years. I think that Jason Kidd comparison is really good because that's the type of player that, that he is eventually going to um, you know, mould himself as. And, and, and I don't think there's, there's too much of a, of a bust factor from someone like Lonzo Ball, especially how hard he plays. It might not look like he's playing hard because he's so... He's, he doesn't really show much emotion on the court, but he does play hard. And that's actually one good thing about Lonzo Ball because regardless of if he's having a good game or bad game, he just plays the same way. And that's kind of what you want. Maybe not from a leader. I don't know whether people are going to question his leadership skills because he's not as loud as perhaps you want a point guard to be. But in the end, the fact that he doesn't really get down himself too much if he's having a bad game, that's a great quality to have. Yeah, exactly right. So we'll move on because there's a lot of kids to get through. So we'll kind of just go quick by quick with, with each of them. Number three. Now, this is a guy that you've probably got higher on your draft board than a lot of other guys do. Malik Monk going to the 76 is at pick number three. And this is a guy that I like this pick for Philadelphia because they're in a position where they almost have to start choosing their players on need as opposed to just the best player available. So obviously, Monk, he's not the best player available at this at this, uh, at this this selection, but he's a point guard, and geez, do, this, do the 76ers need someone who can handle the ball? 
TJ McConnell, Sergio Rodriguez, Jared Bayless, not going to get it done. This is a guy that probably moves faster than his brain because he's super quick, but his decision-making sometimes can be a bit, a bit iffy. But again, that's something that you develop as you play and as you get into the NBA system. But this, you've got him pretty high, Christos. So you must be some, you must see something in him that others don't, or you just feel it's a, a really good fit for, for Philadelphia where they are. Yeah, a bit of both. So you'll see in most mock drafts, they probably have Malik Monk at probably the 7, 8, or 9 mark. Yeah. Like I said, he's just a perfect fit for 76ers. There's been a lot of rumors that they will trade down with Sacramento or Orlando or Minnesota because that's probably where you'd rather pick him up rather than reach for him at 3. But in the end, he is still in that top, to me, probably 5 or 6 players uh, in the draft. And he fits their need. He's a terrific shooter. He's the best shooter in, in the draft. So yeah. he's not going to play point if he gets drafted by the 76ers. He'll play the shooting guard. He's a bit undersized as a shooting guard, but he has unlimited range, and he's the best shooter and scorer in the draft. And that's what you want if you're the, the Sixers, because you're probably going to see Ben Simmons play the point, so you don't need a point guard as much as someone to surround guys like Ben Simmons, because Ben Simmons can't shoot the ball, and a lot of these 76ers players don't shoot the ball. So in my mock draft, I've kind of tried to find the best shooters for the 76ers if they can't find a trade. So to me, Malik Monk, even though if it's a reach, if they keep their pick, to me they should still take Malik Monk because I, I loved the way that he played all season. He didn't have the best tournament, especially when he went up against De'Aaron Fox, who we'll talk about shortly. Um, so he played on the same team as De'Aaron Fox when we went up against um, UCLA. But this guy has the potential to score 40, 50 points in a game. So he is fantastic. And to me, he's just someone the 76ers shouldn't pass because they do have a lot of wing players. They have uh, big guys. They need shooters. And that is exactly what Malik Monk is. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll move on. Number four, Josh Jackson to the Phoenix Suns. Josh Jackson from Kansas. And this is, it. I think if Phoenix at pick four, if Jackson falls to them at pick four, it's an absolute no-brainer because this guy is an athletic guy. He's energetic. He, he can play both ends of the floor. Um, he's got scoring upside. He's a guy that if he falls to Phoenix, they just have to take him. Yeah, and if, like you said, it's a perfect fit as well, but he is a top three talent. We spoke about before the Celtics are considering taking him with pick one, also the rumours say, I don't really believe them, but he could seriously go anywhere in the top four, one, two, three, or four. So like you said, if the, if he's still around when the Suns are picking at four, then they'd, uh, they'd take him without <laughs> without even thinking about it, I think. Yeah, it's a pretty easy one. Number five is another guy, De'Aaron Fox. Yeah, he's... The the Kings are an interesting case study. Picks have got King Five. Kings have got pick five. Excuse me. They've been interested in trading up for De'Aaron Fox, the the point guard out of Kentucky, but he could almost still be available at this five selection. I mean, the four names we've mentioned um, above, all those picks are pretty reasonable. So I wonder if Sacramento need a draft up for Fox because he definitely fits a need because they are another team that's in desperate need for a point guard. And if we've seen anything in the current NBA landscape is you really need that star point guard to 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 go a, a long way in the playoffs. So Fox to the Kings, it, it does make sense, doesn't it, Chris? Yeah, so he's a guy that uh, the 76ers could choose at three as well. But for me, his offensive game isn't anywhere near as polished as Monk's, but his defensive game is fantastic. And he's just a great point guard, one of the best point guards in college last season, obviously being a, a top-five pick. So to me... Like you said, they need someone to run the point. If they got uh, Buddy Hill at the two and then Darren Fox at the at the one, then that's kind of a, a good backcourt to work with for the next uh, you know ten or so years. So 
to me, is a top five talent. He fits the need. So, again, just like uh, the sons of Josh Jackson, they shouldn't have any hesitation in selecting the Aaron Fox. Yeah, and number six, the Orlando Magic. Now, this is a team that they need scoring. They need – how long have we talked about the Orlando Magic? They were 27th in scoring this mm-hmm. year, and we say they need a guy that we can just give him the ball, get out of the way, and score. Now, Jason Tatum from Duke can almost fit that need. You have got him going at pick six to the Magic. He's another guy. That's just, I, I reckon it's a nice fit because he's got so so much upside on the scoring end that you just have to take him. That, that's my, I'm not sure what your take on, on it is, but I look at his guy and he's, he's an athlete as well. He's an advanced scorer for his age. I think they have to take him. Yeah, so it's almost 17 points per game last season playing at Duke. So it just goes to show you how good of a scorer he is. One of the best scorers, not necessarily one of the best shooters, but one of the best scorers in the, in the in the draft at the moment. So you would, I wouldn't be um, incredibly surprised if he again went top three. He has top three talent, but if he does four to six again, Orlando Magic just need talent and need scorers, and that's exactly what Tatum is. So. That kind of rounds out the top tier. The, yeah. uh, I can kind of see anything happening, especially from that three to six mark. After the one and two, you can kind of see Monk, Jackson, Fox, and Tatum kind of taken in any order. I know a lot of people might not necessarily even put Monk in that second tier, but for me, he just fits the need for, for sixes perfectly. So even if you go after that, Jackson, Fox, and Tatum, kind of any order of those three, I think you, you couldn't really go too wrong. Yeah, and like you said, that, that's where you put the cutoff line, those top six. And... Um, so we'll move on to, to the second tier. Like you said, a lot of the times it's the top six. A lot of it does fall down to team need and and say if someone goes earlier than expected, that has a trickle-down effect. But in terms of pure talent and fit, like you said, with with um, with the sixes, the top six makes a lot of sense. We'll move into tier two, which starts at pick seven, Minnesota Timberwolves. And in your mock draft, Chris, you've got Jonathan Isaac, the small forward out of Florida State multi-positional free and D athlete going to the Timberwolves. Um, do you like this fit for Minnesota? I look at Minnesota, they're almost in a position where, like the Sixers, they have to start picking on positional need as opposed to pure talent because they've got the talent. Of course, in a lot of people's minds, they um, didn't perform to their potential this year. A lot of people had him in the playoff picture for 2016-17. Yeah. That, that didn't happen. Um, they're a team that really has to nail this draft pick. They cannot afford to have any more years in the lottery, especially in, in the top seven for, for the talent that's already on that squad. Yeah, this guy could be the guy for them because he does have the most upside. He's incredibly raw, but uh, you know he, he has that athleticism that someone like the, the Timberwolves really need. To me, I didn't really like him all that much when he was at Florida State. I watched quite a bit of him, but you can tell that he has that upside to him. Only scored 12 points per game, but eight rebounds. He's incredibly long. He's 6'11 with a 7'1 wingspan and 9'1 standing reach. So he can he can defend. He can shoot the ball. Like you said, he's a 3 and D athlete. So you know, out of everyone left on the board, he's probably the best out of that second tier group of guys. He has the most upside and I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'd probably say he has a relatively low floor as well, but yeah. in the end, when you have a chance to draft someone like Isaac, you kind of have to go for it because it's a bit of a swing for the Fetters moment for the Timberwolves, but it's one they, I think, that I have to take. Yeah, they, they have to because like this team with, with Towns and everyone else they've got, Wiggins, they, they just they have to go for it. They have to swing for the fences. Now, we'll move on to pick eight. Now, this is going to be an interesting one. I'm going to throw it straight to you, Chris, because you're in New York, so you've got a bit of feel on this, but I feel like... If the New York Knicks 
Uh, I'm basing this comment on the Knicks' fans' history on draft day. If they, with, with their pick eight, decide to take a European prospect yet again, I'm not <laughs> sure the initial fan reaction... Hey, the last one worked out. Hey, it worked out unbelievably. And I'm, I'm not basing it. I'm basing it on the draft day reaction. It could be an interesting one. If French Frank is going to go pick eight for the New York Knicks, take us through this kid. Yeah, Frank Tilakina, I think, I, I guess that's how you pronounce it. I actually haven't better than I would have <laughs> pronounced his name, but I, I guess that's what it is. He, he's, defensively, he's fantastic. He didn't yeah. do much offensively. He was playing in Europe. He's only 18 years old. Don't know too much about him, but uh, defensively, he's probably one of the best backcourt uh, defenders in the uh, in the draft. So he can shoot for long range as well. Shot forty-two percent from long range for the season when he was playing. Where was he playing? Uh, in France for Strasbourg in France. Yep. Yep. So in the end, yeah, it's just his upside is kind of what the Knicks would really be looking at because they can no longer deal with their current couple point guards. Obviously, with I think Derek Rose has said that he probably wants to come back. So I don't know how long they're going to keep him for. But even if he's around for the next one or two years, and he can kind of just groom Delacina or however you pronounce it to be that successor too. Derek Rose, and with his upside, I think he's the right guy to do that. He has defensive capabilities, and he's just a fantastic prospect. So I, I can't see the Knicks going with it. They can kind of go, they can kind of go two ways here. It'll either be him or it'll be Dennis Smith Jr. So in the end, I kind of chose French Frank just because uh, what I've read about him. Actually, I haven't watched much of him. I saw highlights tapes, obviously, but I didn't watch any games because I just don't watch European basketball. But from what I've seen, he's probably that little bit better and a little bit better fit. To, uh, to the Knicks and Dennis Smith. Yeah, and it's a nice segue straight into pick nine, Dallas Mavericks, Dennis Smith, point guard out of NC State. Now, this is a guy that I look at, and he's one of those guys that fit that modern-day mold of his athlete first, basketball player second, which, in my view, probably makes him a bit of a risk um, in terms of lottery selections, just because you hope that basketball IQ catches up to his athletic capabilities. But... It's another team, Dallas Mavericks, who really need a point guard. Now, Dennis Smith has been impressive in pre-draft workouts, so his value's probably gone up a little bit from that. But he's another guy that, Dallas, you need a point guard. Dennis Smith is available. Why not take him? Exactly. So some mock drafts have him as high as six. I don't quite like him that much. Yeah. What he was able to do at NC State was fantastic. He was one of the best scorers uh, in the entire country. As uh, as a freshman, so he scored over 18 points per game and still only had over six assists per game. So he's the guy that can flat out score. And like I said, that's what Dallas need. They kind of haven't got anything to work out at the moment. I was kind of thinking they should take a big man. There are plenty of big men in the league. But for me, Dennis Smith is in that tier above the massive crop of big men that you're going to see probably around that 11 to 25 mark. So rather than going for one of these guys, I think they just go with Dennis Smith because to me, I think he has a higher floor than a lot of the, the biggest they could take. So he gets Dennis Smith a guy who can score an explosive athlete and a great finisher. So that's, uh, that's where I think that uh, I'm going to go. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And this final pick, pick 10, it closes out your um, your tier two of the draft. Sacramento Kings, of course, they got two picks in the top 10. Is this pick coming from New Orleans? And Lorari, oh, I'm going to stuff this name up, so I apologize in advance. Lorari, Lori Markkanen, I think. I'm really apologizing. Lori Markkanen. Lori Markkanen from Arizona. Arizona, Arizona, Arizona last season. 
Yep. Good shooter cannot defend. That's the only issue with uh, Laurie Markin. It fit right into Sacramento then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. I love big guys who can't really do much. So I feel like that's perfect for them. And he had a lot of hype coming into the coming into the college year. He was touted as a probably top five pick and ended up falling a little bit. And even in some mock drafts, he's fallen to 14, 15, 16. But never, uh, never, never expect the Kings to pass on someone like that. I think they love big men, and that's exactly what he is. Seven foot, can't can't rebound, like I said, but has the ability to shoot from range and extend the game. So he can play that stretch ball, he just can't play <laughs> <laughs> underneath the basket, can't block, can't do anything like that. So, perfect fit for Kings. Yeah, it really is, and not in a good way, but we, of course, we'll see how he goes. Now, TF3, you've got picks 11 of 14, closing out the lottery. Charlotte Hornets pick 11, and you've got, um, of course, the, the, the Duke shooter, Luke Kennard, and you've got him a bit higher than some people do. Now, this guy is an absolutely terrific shooter of the basketball. He's got great fundamentals. Defensively, he's a bit he's a bit of a Christian mark. You've got him pick 11 to the Hornets. Why is that? Because I, I feel like he's a bit higher than some people have. I know the ringer, the ringer has got him at pick 15. So maybe talk us through why you've got him at pick 11. Well, originally I actually had him at pick 21. And right. Then so I he's a bit of a bolter. Reading over the past... Yeah, over the past couple of days, and he had fantastic workouts, and apparently a lot of teams are very interested in him, including Hornets, including Pistons, including Nuggets, so I can really see him going around that 11 to 13 mark, and he's just one of these guys that kind of came out of nowhere a little bit last season. On a staff that a Duke team, he was by far the best player, and a lot of it came down to his basketball IQ and his ability to shoot the basketball, so in the end, that's exactly what the Hornets need. They need a score. They need someone to shoot. Luke Kennard is one of the best shooters uh, available on the table, so rather than going for these other guys, I can kind of see them going for a Donovan Mitchell as well, who we'll get to soon. But for me, Luke Kennard it will continue to prove throughout the next couple of days in his workouts that he is worthy of that 11, like 10 to 15 kind of like the, I guess the end of the lottery. He's, he's definitely worked his way into into that conversation. So, you know, while he may not be incredibly athletic, he might not have the same upside as a lot of these guys. He's definitely a great shooter, and I think his floor is a lot higher than, again, a lot of these big guys that you'll see taken after him. Now, you you mentioned him in there, Donovan Mitchell. You've got him pick 12 out of Louisville going to the Detroit Pistons. Another one of those guards who really fits that athletic mold. He's a superb athlete, still developing his decision-making skills and, and, and guard skills to the NBA level. But you've got him pick 12 to the Pistons. Why is that? Uh, because he can score and he's incredibly long and he can defend. So he's uh, he's just one of these guys that, again, once the season's finished, he's kind of got a lot of love from uh, a lot of different teams and you see him moving up the draft board a lot. I had him uh, a couple of spots lower on my last uh, draft board as well, which was a couple of weeks ago, but I've, I've pushed him up to 12 because everyone just seems to really like the way that he plays. He's, he's been fantastic in a lot of his draft workouts and Pistons need another guard. So if you tuck on the Mitchell at the two, and he can play some one as well, but you predominantly want him at the two. But he's a guy that can score, and like you said, he is athletic, so that's exactly what the Pistons need. They can either go that way or they can go for a big man, but for me, Donovan Mitchell's the best player left on the draft, so when someone is the best player and he still feels the need, then you go for him uh, over someone like a, a Zach Collins, who I'm going to speak to next, speak about next. Yeah, and you mentioned it there, Zach Collins, the first real big man on your draft board, center out of Gonzaga, pick 13, going to the Denver Nuggets, this is another guy that you've probably had a bit lower in your previous mock drafts, but 
he's got tremendous upside as a two-way big, and you feel like that's too big to ignore that that, that upside and potential. Yeah, so again, I'm going to go back to the first mock draft that I did a couple of weeks ago. I had Zach Collins all the way down at 22 because I just, yeah, I, I liked him. I watched a lot of him in college, but just didn't think he he gave enough. To, I did, I, it was kind of it was a massive surprise when he decided to declare for the draft. I was shocked. I sent messages around to my friends who also watched a lot of Zach Collins and we kind of couldn't really decide why he, he left and I guess a lot of it came down to the fact that you don't really see one and done players come from Gonzaga and look he put up okay numbers but for me it's going to be his upside that gets him drafted this high and the more I read mock drafts and the more I did research it's going to be hard to see him fall to 22 so even though I might not have him that high I think his his upside his two-way upside is what uh, what teams aren't going to be able to pass so I think it even go higher than Thirteen, but for me, I, I prefer the guards like Donovan Mitchell, and Luke Kennard, more than Zach Collins and what they were able to do last year. And I think they both contribute more than Collins. But the way that uh, <laughs> that I'm reading people people's love about Zach Collins, I don't think he can fall past thirteen. Yeah, which makes sense, and it brings us to the final guy that you've got in your tier three in your lottery. And this is a name that's probably going to surprise a lot of people. Not only if you got him at pick fourteen to the Miami Heat. You've also got him as your top bolter up the draft board. That's TJ Leaf out of UCLA to power forward. Now, uh, Draft Express has him at pick 20. The Ringer has him at pick 26. You've got him at pick 14, so you're really high on the kid, Christos. I think he can even go higher. I wouldn't be surprised if the the Hornets pick him, to be honest with you, because he is yeah. a fantastic shooter. Like I said, I'm a bit biased because I loved UCLA last year. I mentioned before when we were talking about Lonzo Borders. They were my favorite team to watch. They played a very fast tempo basketball. They averaged over 90 points a game for the for the season. So TJ Lee's the guy that can give you a whole lot of scoring as, as a stretch four. He averaged over 16 points per game and over eight rebounds per game. So he's one of these guys. At, let me just see how tall he is. He's 6'10". He doesn't have a lot of reach on his 6'11 wingspan, but he is a guy, while he might not have the, um, I guess, aggression that you want for a big man in fighting for boards and, and getting blocks and all that sort of stuff, his sheer upside as a shooter, 46% of 46% from three, he can really be deadly. And I, I just I just think that he's, he's too good to, to pass up. I, I could seriously see him anywhere from 11 to, you know, to, to, to here. To 14, yeah, which, which is where you've got him, yeah. <laughs> From 11 yeah. downwards, yeah. Between 11 to 14. Yeah. And I seriously think he's that good. I have him more... Because after, after 14, then we go down to the next tier. We've gone through my, my top three tiers. But then after that, we get to the fourth tier, which have a whole lot of big men. And again, I just love the way that TJ Leaf plays. I think he brings a whole lot to the game. And I think it fits kind of perfect with the Heat because the Heat don't need big men. And the big men kind of run the next whole bunch of picks. Yeah. Almost, yeah, there's a lot. Almost yeah, that, that middle, I mean, just looking at your mock draft here, you've got from, like, picks 19 to 22, three of the four guys are centers. This middle middle to late first round is going to be full of big men. So that's t- you had TJ Leaf. He was a bolter. He was one of your bolters. You've got two other guys that you feel like could really shoot up the draft board come draft night, and one of them is a forward out of Michigan. You've got him at pick 18 to the Indiana Pacers. DJ Wilson, bit of a stretch, but, again, one of those guys that probably fits the Pacers' need more so than just going for the best guy available at that pick. At that pick excuse me. DJ Wilson out of Michigan, Christos. What do you like about him? 
Exactly. He's got great upside. And like I said, with all these big men around about the same area, they don't need a centre. They've got their centre in Miles Turner. You're hoping he's going to be there for the next 10 years, if not more. So you want someone who can kind of play alongside him. I think DJ Wilson is that guy who can knock down the long-range ball easily. So he can he can stretch the floor and, and give space to, to um, someone like Miles Turner. He doesn't have, again, like TJ Leaf, a lot of toughness, so he can't really bang in the paint a whole lot. But in the end, if you score, you're going to be a valuable player in the NBA, and that's what he is. So I think that he's a great fit for, for the Pacers at 18. But again, I can see him fall a little bit lower as well if other teams, if, if, if the Pacers deem that they want a solid big man or, or even someone else. That, who, who else have I got around there? Again, look, the, the next, someone like Tyler Lydon, but again, I feel yep. like Tyler Lydon's a bit more of a of a reach than DJ Wilson, but after that, I've got Jared Allen, who's a centre, Justin Patton, who's a centre, Bam Adebayo, who's a centre, Ivan Brad, who's a power forward, Harry Giles is a power forward, and that's the next, however, many picks, and I think DJ Wilson is better than all of them, so for me, I don't see how DJ Wilson yeah. falls past 18. Yeah, and in, in that type of range, a lot of teams will take a horses for courses type thing where they'll judge it off how those certain players play in their own draft workouts, off their draft boards, off their scouting. I think you see a lot of the times at the top of the drafts in, in the NBA and really in the NFL and in all type of sports, a lot of picks are made on basically on pure talent, which makes a whole lot of sense, obviously. But when you get into these... I mean, even you look at a lot of all-stars and really, really strong rotational pieces in the NBA, a lot of them come from this middle tier of the draft because that's where teams, you really see the teams that can scout and which ones are a bit behind in, in that area because you really see the guys that can come in into that team, into that system and fit and really make an impact straight away. And one of the guys that you have, another bolter you've got, you've got him at pick 37 Sinatis Fornrail, and this is a guy from South Carolina. So I apologize if I stuffed up that name. Guy from South Carolina. but that's okay. Okay, well, you can correct me just in a tick. Um, this is a guy that really, one of those guys that stood out in the in the tournament, in the NCAA tournament, um, led South Carolina past Duke. Of course, um, they went on to the Final Four, South Carolina. So you've got him pick 37 to your Boston Celtics, Chris. But the Cinderius Thornwell, his name is, okay. coming out of South Carolina. He is a flat-out shooter. 21.4 points per game and does it in a very effective manner. And for someone like the Celtics who just need great defenders as well, he's a phenomenal defender. His interior defense is phenomenal. That's probably his best asset, I guess, even though he does score as much as he does and shoots with the efficiency that he does. He's a phenomenal defender. So when I have a look at all these mock drafts that have him as 47, 57, and even lower than that, so I'm not getting drafted at all. I can't really understand it. He is a little bit older than a lot of these guys. He's almost 23, but in the end, I don't think that really matters for someone like the Celtics who, if they do have space, which is going to be another issue, I don't know if they're going to make all their draft picks, and you'll see my last two draft picks for the Celtics are both drafting stash players. They yep. might do the same with the, with the this pick as well. But to me, if they were going to make the pick, someone like Sinderis Thomas would be fantastic. He's 6'5". He can play a whole bunch of different positions. He's just a guy that will help any team. It's not a matter of fit. The Boston Celtics don't particularly need someone exactly like him. But when you have the opportunity to draft someone like him, why wouldn't you? He's an incredibly high upside guy who can impact the game. And I don't know why people would be looking past him, especially, you know, teams that just need... Like, you just want to get better sometimes. It's not about need. It's just yeah. about getting better. And Sidereus Thomas is just someone that makes you better. Yeah, absolutely. No, So these are those guys that you kind of feel like could go up on their projected draft position. 
Now, you've got a few guys that could potentially slide as well. One of them, you've got Zach Collins, who we spoke about the, before, the center out of Gonzaga. And you said you were somewhat surprised by why he came out. And like we spoke about before, that middle tier of the first round is just littered with big man. Collins could be a guy that really falls through the crack. So we don't really speak about him. We've already spoken about him. You've still got him at pick 11, but you know you, he could drop down. Another guy you've got that could drop, and this is the one that might surprise a lot of people. That's Frank Mason out of Kansas, of course. The reigning Naismith College Player of the Year. But yet, you've got him all the way down at pick 59 to the Spurs. Now, that's very low for someone who won that award. Um, I mean, basically, I mean, we've seen Talon get picked up in the last couple of picks. Isaiah Thomas was, of course, pick 60. I mean, the Spurs have pick 59. So I think if Frank Mason drops to the Spurs and the Spurs pick him, we'll, we'll look back on it in a couple of years and say, how did the Spurs get another gem so late in the draft? But you've got him as a slider, Chris. I mean, a lot of people might be a bit confused about that. Yeah, so if you have a look at other mock drafts, they probably have him in the 40s at some stage. But for me, I don't know how much teams are going to value a 23-year-old six-foot-nothing point guard, regardless of how well they played in college. So, you know, someone like Isaiah Thomas, the way he played this year, they might he might convince teams to draft him a lot higher than 59. But in the end, I just don't know how much upside he could have. And he was a phenomenal player in college. Don't get me wrong, he was great, especially for his junior and senior campaign. But... To me, this draft is actually really deep, and there's a lot of talent ahead of him. Like, it's not as if I'm just you're just throwing out names and saying this guy's good, this guy's okay, and chuck him in ahead of him. I genuinely think that every single person that's selected before him is going to contribute more in the NBA than him. But like you said, if the Spurs do end up getting him pick 59, they could probably do more with him than anyone else, and he would fit perfectly with the Spurs system. But in the end, I just think it's a very low upside for a guy who's 23 and six foot nothing. You know, there's other guys that might not have as high of a floor as Frank Mason, but they definitely have a higher ceiling. So that's kind of what you want, especially with these late picks. You just want guys who could come out of nowhere and be an Isaiah Thomas. I just don't think Frank Mason has what it takes to be an Isaiah Thomas. Now, granted, I don't think anyone thought Isaiah Thomas had what it takes to become current Isaiah Thomas, but for every... Isaiah Thomas that there is, there's another you know, 20, 30, 40 players that don't pan out. So I think, unfortunately for Frank Jackson, for Frank Mason, he's probably going to be one of the ones that don't end up as good as Isaiah Thomas, which is fine. He can still be a good rotational player. But for me, I'm happy to, to let him wait until 59 or, or the very end of the draft, last, last few picks. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll just need to see how it plays out. And your other slider you've got, kind of like Zach Collins, it's Tony Bradley. And he's another guy that is the center out of North Carolina that in a sea of talented big men, another guy that could probably just fall down the, the cracks all the way into the, into the 40s. Yeah, so other mock drafts have him between 20 and probably like 35-ish. I had him even lower originally and brought him back up to 41. So... To me, he's just a guy, I watched a lot of Taylor last year, but he just didn't really stand out whatsoever. He only played 40 minutes a game, averaged seven points and five rebounds. Didn't really do much to kind of catch my attention. And so I don't know whether there's anything specifically that I didn't like about him, but he was one of these guys, just like Zach Collins, that when he declared, I was surprised. I didn't think that he really did enough to warrant getting drafted. So rather than him having massive weaknesses. It's more just I didn't see anything that I particularly liked for him. He's a fine player, but to me, 
I just don't know why he would have declared so early. I feel like he, another year in school would have done him well, could build up his stats a little bit more and, and play that position now that Isaiah Hicks is out. But in the end, he decided to quit, declare. Good luck for him. But for me, I can't really see him going the first round, especially, like you said, with all the, the big men that are around that area. I think he's a tier below them even. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And I think that probably... Oh, I mean, there's so many more names we could touch on in the draft because, like you said, there's that many kids in this draft class that you could probably... There's going to be a few gems picked out late in the draft just by virtue of how deep it goes. I think with this draft, maybe the top-end talent isn't as profound as the as we've seen in the past, but probably depth-wise, it's probably going to be a sensational draft class. And, of course, another... Um, element of draft day that everyone loves is a trades because there's always we always get a few out of nowhere where we kind of look back and think wow how did that get done now you put together a few little draft day deals that could get done one of them is between the Portland Trailblazers and the Brooklyn Nets a pair of teams that for different reasons really have to start rejigging and readjusting their respective rosters and their um their positioning you've got this um this draft day deal. You've got Portland getting pick 22 and pick 27. So getting a couple more picks in, in that mid to late first round range. And you've got the Nets getting an absolute hole of pick 15, pick 20, pick 26, a top 10 protected 2018 first rounder. That could be lottery protected. It's a first rounder that's protected. And then you've got um a, almost a salary dump on Portland's side of things. You've got him giving up maybe a Myers Leonard who's on a contract three years, $30 million. Then maybe an Alan, an Alan Crabb, Evan Turner type. Both of those guys are getting paid around $55 million for three years as well. A lot of stuff going on here, Christos. I do like the idea of Portland. They need to clear up some salary cap room there. Really hamstrung in that area for a team that really isn't much better than an eight seed. I mean, let's be honest. They got absolutely pantsed in the first round this year. And you look at that team, I don't know if there's much scope for improvement there to get them to where they need with this current core group. So I like the idea of a salary cap dump. It creates flexibility that they need there. But geez, I, to me, when you sent me this draft, I thought this this uh, proposed trade, I thought, wow, they really are giving up a lot for just two first for just two late uh, first rounders back in return. So maybe talk us through the merits of this deal for both teams. Well, again, this is just kind of a fun thing that I decided. I doubt anything like this will kind of go on. Yeah, yeah, and we probably should. Year, we probably should doing their own drafts and using the ESPN trade machine and all that sort of stuff. So this is completely hypothetical. Yeah. I doubt it's going to happen. And we'll just say that first, Chris. Port, that Brooklyn, yeah. None of these are based on on fact. These are just purely. You and I just... Not even a little bit. Yeah, just shooting darts at the board and see what might stick. There's no truth or rumor or anything to these. These are just pure chuck it on a piece of paper and let's discuss it. Exactly. But when you have a look at it, Portland have a lot of draft picks, but they don't have very much cap room at all. So for the 2017-18 season, they currently have $137, $137 million tied up in their salary cap. The salary cap is $101 million. So they are well over the salary cap at the moment. So what they have to do is they have to get rid of a lot of their contracts. When you've got guys like Alan Crabb, Evan Turner, Myers Leonard, a whole bunch of other guys, these are mid-level guys getting way overpaid. So you have to try to find a team 
that has a lot of salary cap that you can kind of work with to get rid of them. And someone like Brooklyn would be perfect for that because currently going into next season, they've only got $64 million cap. So mm. if you say to them, all right, you take either Alcrab Nevin Turner as well as Myers Leonard, then we'll kind of give you more picks because what the Brooklyn need, they need picks. They do have 22 and 27 at the moment, but if you can say to them, yeah. if you take all this money off our books, we'll give you pick 15, we'll give you a two-pick upgrade on, on your second pick, we'll give you a one-pick upgrade on your third pick, and then we'll give you either a top 10 or, or lottery-protected pick, uh, first-round pick next year. So it's, it kind of works well for both teams because Trailblazers are getting a little bit more uh, cap relief and the Brooklyn get picks. So I, I don't understand why it, it wouldn't work. Maybe Brooklyn are giving too much, but in the end, something has to happen because 137 million for a team who's probably not going to even make the playoffs next year. Yeah. You don't know, but they're going to be around about the same mark this year. That's just way too much money. Get rid of some of these guys who aren't doing anything, and you just have to give up a couple of picks, which I understand picks are very valuable. But in the end, <laughs> you need to cap it. Yeah, no, I understand. I think, like I said, the only curiosity I'll have here is that first rounder. I think that one makes me think, mm, maybe you want to... You can just change the protections. Change, change the, the protections. Top 14 or top 18 or top 20 or That's something like true. that. But I do feel like it's not quite enough at the moment. So just whatever the protection is going to be, I feel like it does need to be a first-round pick because Brooklyn are taking a lot of money. I think if you just did Alan Crabb or Evan Turner, then you wouldn't need to throw in the first-round pick. But if you go... All right, we'll chuck your Myers landed on top of that, which is three years at thirty million. Then we'll give you a first round pick, fourteen, sixteen, eighteen, twenty protected, whatever it was. Yeah, exactly right. And like you mentioned, I mean, Portland salary cap space. I mean, we mentioned the the, the total um, financial value of those contracts, but just for the for the upcoming season, Alan Crab eighteen point five million, Evan Turner a tick over seventeen million, Myers Leonard nine point nine, Mo Harkless nine point six. Alpha Ruka Minu, 7.3 million. Festus Azili, 7.7. Ed Davis, 6.3. So it's a lot, a lot of money uh, committed to just these average guys that really aren't going to move the needle much for your team. Another um, another uh, trade that we've spoken about a little bit is between the Clippers and the Jazz. This is an interesting one. This one I feel like can really benefit for both teams. I'm going to throw another name into the mix at you to see, get your thoughts. So you've got it. Clippers get pick 24 and 42. So move into the draft, get some much needed young talent in Los Angeles. You've got the Jazz getting Austin Rivers, which I I respond to you as, where does this leave Dante Exum? Now, Exum, of course, isn't that happy in, in Utah because he just doesn't get minutes that he should be getting. You've got the Jazz now getting Austin Rivers into the mix, which would make things a whole lot more harder for 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 Exum to to find to find time to get minutes and develop in Utah. Yeah, he's kind of a forgotten man a little bit, isn't he? And that's just the whole thing. It was going to take him a couple of years to kind of acclimatize to the NBA anyway, because he didn't come from the college system. He didn't come from Europe. He came from the Australian high school system. Mm. So I don't know if there's anyone has really had that big of a jump as Dante Exum became from the Canberra high school boys going on to, to the NBA. So it was always going to take him time and then he got injured. So it was going to take him a bit of extra time after that, but he hasn't really found his way into the rotation. So for someone like Utah who do want to look to compete next year, especially if Gordon Haywood can stay, then you do want someone who can play good backup point guard minutes. And Isaiah, uh, Austin Rivers can definitely do that for you. He was starting... Uh, a lot of the time, Falk Clippers, when Chris Paul was out, so he is capable of, 
of, of running the team, running the first unit. But if you're the Clippers, then you get a bit of salary cap relief because, again, they've got a $108 million cap hit next year. So then they get uh, a couple of, you know, they get $23 million off the books for the next two years, which helps them out. Plus they get to move into the first round where they might want to take another big man because they were terrible, uh, you know, in the paint last year. They had... DeAndre Jordan, but outside of him, there wasn't really anyone else to command the paint. So if they can pick up one of these big men that I kind of had around that 15 to 25 mark, they can get one of those to pick 24 and then another prospect to 42. So it kind of works out both ways. But like you said, it just means that Dante Exum kind of is a bit in limbo at the moment. But mm. in the end, if you're Utah, you just have to move on from him eventually because he's just not showing signs of, of much at all, unfortunately. Yeah, which makes sense. Of course, Exum's a contract situation. He's under contract for this season at $4.9 million. Then for 2018-19, he's got a $6.6 million qualifying offer. So we'll just wait and see how that situation plays out. Um, a- another trade that you've sent to me is the Kings and the 76ers. Now, this is uh, a swap of picks, and it's as we spoke about before. We spoke about Philadelphia maybe wanting to trade down just in terms of that the guy that they want, you probably don't need to take him at pick three. So you've got um, Sacramento, a team that they could potentially trade down with. We would see Sacramento get pick three, 36, and a, and a protected first round the next year, probably top three protected. We'll wait and see. And then the 76ers in return, of course, get pick five and 10. Another deal, which I look at, um, it does make sense. I mean, Sacramento... On pick five and ten, I feel like you can get a lot with with, with that uh, two picks in the top ten. But then again, you're getting pick three in return plus a, a first round the next year. So give or take, it's a swap of picks. I guess it really depends on if you're, if you're Philly, you're probably going to have to overpay for that. I'd say because you, most most likely you'd be the ones initiating. If you're the yeah. one that want Malik Monk and you want to move down, then you're going to probably have to pay overs and. In the end, it'll be three. And you know, if, if they get five and ten this year, then you would hope that they would probably finish relatively close to the playoffs. I don't know. They'd yeah. want to. I mean, five hundred record. I guess if they finish, you'd want to see you know, some type of improvement. Years, yeah, yeah, they, they might be they might be picking at ten or eleven next year. So if you go to pick three and ten, and thirty six for five and ten, then in the end, it kind of, it, I feel like it makes sense. Yep. And it, it, Obviously, Philadelphia banking on what they're going to do, but they kind of have to make moves. And to me, they still get their man at five. They still get a guy who, to me, they should draft at three. They get him at five, plus they pick up whoever else they want at ten. You still get a great player at ten. You get a second-tier player at ten. And I still think it's you know it's it's good for both sides. Yeah, and exactly right. And there's one more uh, team we'll chat about in a drafts in a trading sense. And that's the Charlotte Hornets. Now, much like the Blazers we spoke about before, it's another team with not that great of a talent level, but they've already committed 103.9 million to their roster in 2017-18, which is a fair amount of money when you think about the position they're in. So you've got a few deals that could potentially get them, um, which could dump them some salary. And we'll just go through some names that they could look to move. I mean, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist is a guy that I feel like hasn't, developed into the guy that a lot of people thought he would at this stage of his career. He's getting $13 million next season. Marvin Williams, who he had a damn good season, but he's not that young. He's getting paid $13.1 million next season. So there are a couple of guys 
that could be on the move. You can, I reckon teams around the league would be interested in those two types of players. So you could use them as trade bait, maybe try and get some more draft picks if you're the, if you're the Hornets, and more so just dump some salary. Exactly. So the two that I've had, I've got Charlotte working with Indiana, which we'll talk about first, and then Charlotte working with Atlanta. And it deals with the same pick, so both of these can't happen. But one of the two kind of makes sense to me. You let me know what you think of. I'll go through it, and then you let me know what could be changed or whether it's unfair to a certain side. Because I kind of just do these on a whim. I can only do this one you know, half an hour before you called, and then <laughs> didn't really give it much thought. But in this instance, Charlotte would get pick 18 and 47, and then a top 10 2018 first-round pick. Yep. In exchange, Indiana gets pick 11, so they move to that spot. So Charlotte moves out of that 11 because they still get talent to pick 18. If they want a big guy, they can get plenty of big guys at 18. And someone like Luke Kennard that I was talking about before, or TJ Leaf, those guys could still potentially be there, especially TJ Leaf, at pick 18. So you're still going to get a lot of talent at, at pick 18. So don't move back too much. But Indiana gets pick 11, and Marvin Williams, they have to take on the salary, but they have plenty of salary cap uh, room for, for next year. They're only committing $65 million at the moment, whereas Charlotte are committing 104, which is why you want them to kind of get rid of as much uh, money as they can. So if you're Charlotte, you get a bit of uh, cap relief, you get a 2010 top 10 protected first-round pick, as well as a couple of other picks, including one in the first round. And if you're Indiana, you get pick 11, you get Marvin Williams, you get one last chance to win with Paul George before he goes. You want to bring as much talent as you can. Marvin Williams is an upgrade on who they have at the fourth spot at the moment. And then pick 11 is an upgrade on pick 18. So you kind of want to go all in for Paul George if they think they have any chance of re-signing him whatsoever, which I don't think they do, because I think it's kind of a foregone conclusion yeah. that he is going to uh, the Lakers. But even so, you want to have one last run at him Mid-season, if it doesn't work, then you kind of trade him, get a bit more assets. But if you add him, pick 11 of Marvin Williams, and you maybe have a little bit more than you had this year to kind of go for a bit of a run. Yeah, and I was going to mention that that, that name, Poor George. I think anything with the Pacers, it really honestly depends on what Poor George, well, what they decide to do with him this offseason. They trade him this offseason, which they're kind of indicated they don't want to. They do want to say, Poor, one more chance. Let's see what we can do. So maybe pick 11 of Marvin Williams and then a few signings in free agency, a couple of trades with their middle part of the roster, builds a team where George wants to stay. So I think if you're the Pacers, this is a trade that can kind of show him, look, we're trying as much as we can. We're giving up our next year's first round pick in order to build a team that we can keep for you. So I do like that idea of it. So I kind of think that works for both sides. And we are running out of time just quickly, Chris. So we'll touch on the other one you've got, Involves the Atlanta Hawks. Charlotte would get 1931 in this year's draft. And again, a top 10 protected 2018 first rounder. In response, Atlanta would get pick 11. So again, pick 11, pick 19. Not a great deal of difference considering the the depth of talent. And Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, who's a really, really interesting one. Like I mentioned, probably hasn't developed like the way a lot of people thought. Um, I really like um, Prince, the, the kid Prince they've got in Atlanta holding down that free spot. So it might create a bit of a logjam, but Kid Gilchrist, we know he's got talent. I mean, he was a really high lottery pick, so he's got talent. So this is another one that could work on both sides. Um, 
Atlanta gets pick 11. I'd like it for Atlanta. I think you take this on because you're not giving... Would you give up a first rounder next year? Again, chuck a top... Again, you can change your protection rather than... Yeah, top chuck a protection on it. Top 16 or top 18. I yeah. feel like it does have to be a, a first round pick, but chuck whatever protection you want. I just say top 10 because this is the first thing I think of, but it can be top 14, top 15 or whatever. But in the end, I don't think it'll matter too much because uh, but I feel like both of those sides aren't going to get a top 10 pick anymore. Even both, both should probably make the the playoffs in the end. So uh, even if you had top 14, it shouldn't matter too much. Yeah, exactly right. So again, those are just a couple of trades that we discussed. It would be a bit of fun. It's, I mean, it's always such a fun conversation to chat about. Now, we have run out of time, but before we do, I also want to quickly, quickly mention... Keep an eye on, keep an eye out. Terence Ferguson played for the Adelaide 36ers in the NBL next uh, this past season. Probably going to go in the first round. Keep an eye out for him. Jonah Bolden, an Aussie, played overseas this season after a failed stint at UCLA. He's a hidden lottery pick. He'll go in the late first round or in the second round. Keep an eye out. Isaac Humphreys probably won't get drafted. He's had a heap of workouts. He'll be in the summer league. He's another Aussie to keep an eye on. Then there's a bunch of guys who won't get drafted but have had workouts and will probably be in the summer league. Matty Hodgson, Mitch Creek, Nathan Sobey, uh, Corey Webster is another NBL guy. He's in New Zealand, but we'll count him anyway. So there's a lot of Aussies and local homegrown talent to keep an eye on in the, in the draft period, in the workout period, in the summer league and in the, in the pre-training camp, extended roster workouts as well. So Chris... Appreciate your time as always. It was a heap of fun discussing. I mean, we'll do our draft review review episode podcast as well, which will be a heap of fun. Before I let you go, where can we find you to, to keep track of all this draft coverage over the next week and eventually at a big day? You can find me at Christoph Tyler. And I just want to mention before we go, we had two questions that we actually ended up answering during the podcast that we didn't get credit to. So thank you to Michael Thompson and Sam Edmonds for sending in uh, tweets. I'm glad we could answer your questions for you. But again, if you want to hit me up and ask me any questions about the draft, at Christos Tyler. Beautiful. You can find me on Twitter, at Luke Sakari, and of course, at SEN America for all, and SEN.com.au for all of our uh, coverage on the US sporting scene. Chris, appreciate your time as always, and we'll catch up soon. Thanks, Lukey.